Okay, so to get philosophical for a second, rap is a genre of change. And the album that proves that more than any other is Savage Mode by 21 Savage. Narcotics on me, I be mad. Just in bed the night, I be mad fly. Savage singing hits like a wise guy. I'ma sit in front of judge and tell her down lie. Nigga, I be mad. Alright, so I hope 21 Savage isn't listening to this because he is not the best example. But that said, rap is probably the type of music that's most aware of society's problems, and that's been a thing since rap was a thing. From NWA to Nas to Kanye West to even Future, hip-hop artists are able to look at the world we live in, find the problems that impact them, and transform them into bars. On this episode of The Dive, we take a look at rap's unique worldview by chatting about Drake's new, very global album, telling you about the story of one hip-hop star from abroad, and how Kanye West uses samples in his music. This is episode 9 of The Dive, and let's get it. the Spanish rapper El Mesui to see if I could land an interview, and he said that if it worked for my schedule, I could stop by during his office hours. Let me just say, if, if you're struggling to translate the name, Mesui, you could stop now, because you won't. The name's origin story begins in Alcorcón, Spain, where, as a local graffiti artist and a prodigious water polo player, he would tag the word swimmer. Later, he shortened it to just Sui. Then, when he joined the Spanish equivalent of the Wu-Tang Clan, and eventually embarked on a successful solo rap career built around socially conscious lyrics, someone compared him to a messias, a messiah, the one that has to come. He liked that, so Sui became Mesuias and later Mesui, El Mesui. In the Spanish rap world, it's a name that still carries plenty of weight, a pioneer in a still burgeoning scene. But in 2017, here in the US, most people call him by his name instead, Jose Luis Magro. Professor Macro, actually. I met with him in an office in Jimenez Hall. Magro has been an adjunct professor at Maryland for the last five years and currently teaches a couple of different Spanish language classes. One of his favorites is advanced Spanish translation where they grapple with language, and everything from children's movies to poetry to rap music. He's always had a passion for language, ever since his days in Alcorcón. At that time, Spain was a fledgling democracy, and things were volatile, especially in his neighborhood. He started out as a breakdancer, something he admits he wasn't that good at. Then he turned to graffiti and started to gain a following. From there, he tried rhyming. He made a name for himself in part because of his distinct style one built on a passion for the spoken word that would come to define his life in more ways than one. Uh, when everybody was rhyming with this like uh, public enemy, really aggressive type of rap, I was like rapping with a more mellow, laid-back style, P&D, Rakim type of, and I was more lyrical than, than then, and so that brought like a different aspect to All, all MCs are basically linguists, like, and we're very conscious of it, like we're constantly analyzing language from different aspects and from different perspectives since even if we, if we didn't have any preparation, any formal uh, training or anything like that, but we are very conscious 
more even than some language that I've been studying language for many years. I can see people in the streets that they are more conscious about it. In his neighborhood, members of the underground hip-hop scene started to get together and form groups. It was this trend that brought about Mesui's breakthrough. Uh, the way you started, it was, well, my, first of all, it was a really good group in my, in my neighborhood. It was the first group that was able to successfully translocalize English language to Spanish, right? Like they were being credible when they were rapping, like they sounded like from the neighborhood. They were using, they, none of them speak English, right? So they were just rapping in Spanish the way we would talk in, in my neighborhood, right? So, and they were, the patterns they were using over the beat, they were like, really good. So that made, created like a big culture in my neighborhood. It was Alcorcón, right? Even the people from Torrejón, that was the, where they had the U.S. Army base, right? And they were getting all the music, were able to do it as good as we were doing it, right? Because we were real, we were the thing, we were the people in the hood, mm-hmm. right? So we were like, rapping with our tools. Um, and that created this environment where everybody was to like be one, like this group, it was called Jungle Kings, right? We wanted to be like them. We were like, oh man, these people flow, man, this is good. <laughs> so, as a graffiti artist, I was very well known, but of course, when you rap, you are even more well known. So sure. what you do is you start doing like little parties, like in your neighborhood, I was developing like these little parties where I would pick up the mic and I would rap like one or two songs and everybody, it was sometimes some uh, battles or whatever, so. And I was very successful at it. A lot of people come to my parties. I was rapping in there. People like like it. Through these parties, we created like a fan base. Uh, this was happening simultaneously in different neighborhoods. In Torrejón, it was happening with Sanaris there. It was happening in Carabanchel. It was happening in Madrid Center, in Mostoles, in different neighborhoods in the area. All these best MCs in each area, we got all together and we put like a super group. Like the, the Wooten Clan didn't come out yet, but it was like a Spanish Wooten. We all together uh, joined forces and bring all our fan bases together and created this super group. Um, and from there, it was everything was. What was the super group called? El Club de los Poetas Violentos. The Violent Poets Club. Later known as just CPV, they grew popular in part because they were real. Mesui says they talked about real things in real ways. We take hip hop like really in a serious hardcore mode. We were integrating. Um, social issues in our lyrics, information in the neighborhoods that was reflected in our music, so... Why was that important to you to have, like, a socially conscious message from the group? We were the news. In those days, there was no internet. We were the news for the neighborhood. Whatever we say was distributed everywhere. People were listening. They they were not even listening to uh, demo tapes. Well, a couple of demo tapes escaped from our hands, and they were duplicated over and over, and they go all over the country. We didn't even know. And now you can find them on the internet, recorded from recorded from recorded from recorded. (laughs) So the voice is completely... (laughs) <laughs> it's from tape to tape, so it's, it's crazy, but that's that's how it started. We just uh, we just got together, we formed this super group, and 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 start moving along with it. Um, and we wanted to say what we wanted to say. We wanted to have a voice, people like how to tackle all these issues and how to uh, portray self-esteem. Also, like demonstrate like we're from the hood, we're still people, and we can do all these things. Sky's the limit. We can put an album like in these conditions, anybody can do anything. We did it. We made a. CPV met in 1992 and performed together, later with decreasing frequency, until 2013. In 1997, Mesui released his first solo album. It became a success, and in its title, you could see a foreshadowing of an academic future. Tesis Doctoral, it was called. Doctoral Thesis. 
Which is so interesting because this idea of smart rap, rap with a message, is as relevant today as it's ever been. Just last week, Kendrick Lamar dropped the heart part four, a long, winding banger that includes some shots at our new president. Tell him that God coming. Now Russia need a replay button. Y'all love this something. Electorial votes look like memorial votes. But America's truth ain't ignoring the votes. This idea that hip-hop can lead the way in terms of political art is nothing new to Meswee. He believed in that notion then, as a young rapper with something to say, and he still believes in it now. Yeah, I mean, we had an obligation, and this is going to be really good for, uh, like, stimulating our critical thinking. Like, we need to, we need to talk about it. Like, one of my stories is like, you're fucking up my whole album. It starts this, like that. Like, mm -hmm. you're fucking up my whole album because I'm talking about you all the time. Right? Because I'm talking about him all the time. Donald is across the whole album all the time and the whole situation. I never carry a gun in my whole life. Even I've been surrounded by them my whole life, I never carry a gun. It's the first time in my life that I'm thinking about getting one. And why I'm in this situation? When I'm against guns, I don't like guns. I don't want to hurt nobody ever. But why I'm feeling so threat that I even that thought even cr uh, crossed my mind. So it's like we got an obligation to talk about this. And this is going to be a great moment for music in general. And he has every right to comment on Donald Trump and his new album because he's watched things change since he came to the U.S. in 1999. That was the year he and his wife moved to New York. At the time, he was making a solid living off of a number of things, including a successful clothing line. But in 2009, the recession hit, and as Magro decided what to do next, he thought back to some of the talk shows he used to do in Spain. Often, he would be a part of a panel discussing social issues, among other things, and he was brought on to provide another perspective to what was often a lineup of prominent academics and pundits. But he did more than that. As one of the few MCs in Spain with a college degree, he often contradicted a lot of what they had to say with intelligent points and good research. He knew that the only thing between him and them was the opportunities they had received when they were younger, the paths that had been opened to them. So, almost two decades after his rap career began, he decided to try their path as well. He got involved with the Boys and Girls Club in the Bronx, incorporating the power of music and language in a program centered around at-risk youth. Later, he got his master's in education from NYU, he taught in New York High School, and then decided to get his Ph.D. Eventually, he came to Maryland as an adjunct professor. I was used... Uh hip-hop in my pedagogy, like the whole perspective of resistance and all the implicit ideologies in hip-hop I was using in my pedagogy, even in the intermediate levels, Spanish, but especially in the advanced levels. So I always try to include uh, hip-hop pedagogies, and uh, as I explained you in that translation class, you can see it across hip-hop with uh, technical text, discrimination, hip-hop is different, different access that, that cross. That. When your students ask, like, who do you do you compare yourself to someone like in America to like kind of explain the, what you were like? Yeah, sometimes they ask uh, what I do is just play the music and <laughs> let it. Yeah. <laughs> they can decide for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you are like the JC? Nah. Oh, you like the Nas? Yeah, closer. Oh, you like the the Wooten Clan from Spain? Yeah, for our listeners there, yeah, you can tell. Say so. Who do you listen to today? Like, who do you like to listen uh, to? I usually keep listening to the old school MCs, but it's a few new rappers, because I guess they're interested in those that I like. Like, uh, recently I've been listening to Joey Barras. Mm -hmm. I like him, he's good. Uh, J. Cole is the one he started doing these mainstream songs that he pissed me off, but when he do classic hits, I like J. Cole. The music is always present in the professor's classroom, but doesn't come up like some teachers bring up their outside pursuits. You know, like a, you should buy my book kind of way. Instead, 
the music exists in his class because things like where you're from and who you are and what you're passionate about never go away, no matter what your title. For this teacher, that passion lies in the expression of language, and it manifests itself in the classroom just as it did in Alcorcón when he was a graffiti artist trying his hand at the rap game. No matter what society tells us, those two paths, they're pretty similar. So why let them diverge? Right now, Magro is planning a big 20th anniversary celebration of his debut album, one that will include the release of some new music. He's also going back to Spain to do a big concert. And he says it'll probably be one of his final shows in his home country. But it's important for him to do it, because he has two kids now and he wants them to see him perform. The kids, they're just like him, living a life of language. They speak Spanish and English as well as French, and sometimes, in the car, on the way home, they like to freestyle with their dad, the rapper. That was Michael Arrigo. Our next segment comes from staff writer John Powers, who explores how samples are the best way to chart Kanye West's influences and impact. Yo, G, it can't stop me from rapping, Kenny. Kenny, hot. I spit it through the wire, man. So, John Powers, welcome to the dive once again. Thank you very much. You were on here before to talk about Outcast, right? Yep. So, big hip-hop guy. Of course. Uh, and on this episode, we're talking about hip-hop in all its many forms, and uh, you're here to talk about Kanye West. Yeah, so I did a, I did a good amount of research about uh, Kanye West. He's known uh, throughout the hip-hop community for his sampling, uh, the frequency with which he does it, and the, uh, the effectiveness with which he does it. Quick shout out to the website whosampled.com. Invaluable throughout this. <laughs> highly right. recommend. Highly recommend looking through that site. And you got to see how his how his uh, taste in music progressed as his musical career did alongside it. Right. So I mean that's someone something that, you know, a lot of fans of Kanye enjoy is that every album kind of has this different feel to it. So where he's at right now in his life and, you know, what he's listening to, I guess, is what what you're saying. Exactly, well. exactly. So, yeah, you have, in 2004, you have uh, him coming out with his first album, the debut album, College Dropout, and you see a lot of R&B and soul, not exclusively, but pretty much that's that's most of what we see. We see uh, Shaka Khan on uh, Through the Wire, where uh, Shaka Khan's 1984 song, uh, Through the Fire. have a Lauren Hill soul song on All Falls Down, pretty directly sampling the lyrics and the uh, the melody. We have slow jams, obvious, uh, I mean, even name drops, Luther Vandross on the song while sampling him, which is pretty gangster. Uh, and Jesus Walks uh, is where you sort of see some of the gospel influences. Those, that's, that's prevalent throughout his career as well. But this is sort of his baseline. It's R&B soul and probably a little bit of gospel. It's And it's like... It's almost like R&B legend, so it's almost like a reverential kind of feel to it. Yeah, absolutely. He's sampling people that came before him and, and were stars. You know? Exactly, yeah. I mean, he was he was born in 1977, and you could tell he grew up uh, in a household uh, where these artists were sort of the 
you know, the the people that that were listened to. I mean, we can, we all can relate to that as you know, our parents are the first people who really introduced us to music. So right, right. He clearly was raised in a household with an appreciation for these R and B and soul. Uh, yeah. classics and then late registrations in 2005 yep yep the next year so he comes out uh this would i would say that uh if you look at two albums thematically uh or not necessarily thematically but in terms of uh sampling uh these are probably the the two most similar albums he has put out uh it's a lot still a lot of r&b and uh and soul influence but you start to see a little bit more jazz a little bit more uh classic rock he has some earth wind and fire on there uh, but again, he's staying sort of true to himself with some Otis Redding and some Hank Crawford, a very famous saxophonist, uh, Curtis Mayfield. Uh, one of the more interesting samples on this album was a title track from a James Bond film called Diamonds Are Forever. And he sort of took that and that became one of the big, uh, you know, that became one of the big the big hits from this album. And now when people hear that title, uh, a lot of the time they think about the Kanye song. They can stimulate to tease me. They won't leave in the night. I've no fear that they might desert me. Diamonds are forever. Throw your diamonds in the sky. And then there's a shift. A big, a big shift, I would say, from uh, from the 05 late registration to 2007 graduation. This is when you start. I mean, one of his most famous samples uh, is "Stronger." So, so in 2007, again, there, there are always, you know, you're not gonna have a Kanye album without the R&B and soul that's really his bread and butter but you see uh, electronic music working its way in there you see a lot more classic hip-hop uh, in the club by 50 cent i got money by young jeezy and ti can't tell me nothing by pete rock and cl smooth and then you see some uh, some older pop influences as well uh, pretty young thing by michael jackson was sampled on good life uh, and Elton John, Somebody Saved My Life. So he really is sort of, uh, he's starting to expand a little bit. Here. And then in 2008, you get maybe Kanye's most controversial album in the sense that a lot of people aren't huge fans of 808s. What do you, first of all, what are your thoughts on 808s before we get into that? Um, I, when, I mean, first of all, when it came out, I was in middle school. So, I mean, that had that had middle school dance hits written all over it. Love Lockdown. What? Uh, are you kidding? I feel like Love Lockdown uh, is not perfect for middle school Heartless. dance. Heartless, yeah. There's... Okay, those songs are bleeding with emotion. You're yeah. out there just grinding to it. I'm sorry, what, like what, you were grinding in middle school? Your your school has no Hell ethical yeah. state. <laughs> no, I, I was just in the corner of the dance, like, crying to the kind yeah. of shit, you know? No, dude, a, uh, middle school was like a very, you know, everyone's way more emotional than they need to be. Like, this is perfect. Yeah, like, like you're like, oh, dance. It was, you know what? Whatever. What Dances have to be high. So this was it. So, uh, so this was sort of uh, Kanye West and his life. Uh, this was the album he recorded for the first time after uh, his mother's passing, Donda West passing. It, she actually she passed away before graduation came out, but that was mm -hmm. obviously recorded well in advance. This has a lot fewer samples, but you, you're right. It's a very raw. Uh, a very raw album, a very emotional album. One of the most notable ones is Coldest Winter. You can 
you can hear the pain on his voice in Coldest Winter. Um, and it's a pretty, pretty direct, you know, rip off is a, is a strong word to use, but it's, it's strongly pulls from the melody and the, uh, and the instrumental of Memories Fade by Tears for Fears. I feel like the hardcore Tears for Fears fans out there would say rip off. They'd like <laughs> would definitely hip-hop say hip-hop artists that. ripping them yeah. off. Tears for Fears forever. Yeah. <laughs> tears for Fears. If there, if there are any Tears for Fears fans, tweet yeah. at us. <laughs> Give us your take. <laughs> uh, so then we go from there into my favorite Kanye album, uh, The Beautiful, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. That, yeah, that's my favorite as well. So here we see he gets, he gets a little a little crazier with the samples um this is sort of where you see you know pulling like random drum beats from very specific like jazz songs from the 60s and then there's like a live james brown song that he pulled like one very uh the the first thing you hear on uh the first thing you hear on runaway And this, the thing with samples like that is that I always wonder is like, is he just listening to this stuff? Right. Like, yeah. And he's just like <laughs> listening to like a watching a YouTube video of James Brown. Like, yep, that twelve. Yeah, seconds. exactly. Like, it, it's it's a this that's sort of when it gets harder to uh, sort of reverse engineer his his production process. Does he hear that and and think, oh, this will go great in my song Runaway? Right. Or does he hear that and does that somehow inspire? I mean, it's not a particularly inspiring little riff. It's it's a very, you know, I say that with all due respect to James Brown. <laughs> but, James Brown, tweet at us. <laughs> tweet at us your opinions on this. <laughs> yeah, and then so he gets, uh, he, he uses a Bon Iver song as well, uh, Lost in the World. That was a very, uh, you know, his these past two albums, uh, 808s and My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, are very emotional albums for Kanye. Uh, in the first half of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, you see a lot more classic rock samples and some older hip-hop samples. Uh, and that first half is a bit more aggressive, a bit more braggadocious, but it's a lot more sort of raw and emotional and, and almost tender, if I could say that. I mean, Blame Game is sort of a weird, I don't know what to call that. They, they get more emotional as it goes on, and the, the samples reflect that. And then we move to Watch the Throne in 2011. When I think of that album, I think, I mean, you mentioned him earlier, but I think of Otis Redding. Yeah, you see some uh, again. You see some some electronic uh, flux pavilions. I can't stop on who gonna stop me was a pretty uh, yeah, you know that a was a one. pretty famous one. And then gotta have it. Uh, that samples multiple James Brown songs. And then Yeezus of 2013 is I would say the most similar to 808s and Heartbreak in the sense that he did something very different and for you know rub some people the wrong way and some people were real into it. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I would say. Uh, Jesus, I didn't, I didn't like as much as 808s and Heartbreak. That's just my personal opinion. But looking at, um, looking at it for its, its value from sampling, it certainly, again, he sort of amped up the, the wackiness with this one. Really pulling from even stranger and stranger sources, you start to see uh, Nina Simone, her song "Strange Fruit." Yeah, I think that's his boldest sample that he's ever done. Yeah, that's and the uh, and New Slaves is the the melody on that is pretty much exactly pulled from a uh, a Hungarian progressive rock group. So we start to see Kanye uh, 
sort of become more Cliche. of a, a global. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I heard it once. <laughs> heard it a thousand times. Uh, Bound to again, really another another beautiful sample. sample. Yeah, um, and again, throughout all of his samples, you'll find that Kanye will often put vocals in a song as a backdrop to layer uh, other vocals over, whether it's someone singing a chorus or him rapping over it. But again, like the the sort of the Bound to sample of the song Bound was really uh, just sort of used the, the lyrics from that and sort of uh, played with them in terms of yeah. the tone and pitch. And then uh, one, one more important point here is you start to see uh, reggae on his album, Send It Up, uh, had a Beautiful song, song. by Beanie underrated Man. song. I, I would agree with that, generally speaking. Uh, Yeezus grew on me a little bit. I very much didn't like it at first, but it it has it has some very listenable songs on there. And then we've got Pablo, which came out last year. Yeah, finally, um, Life of Pablo and did pretty well. It's certainly a mishmash of things. Yeah, sample wise, where was where was he at? Sample wise, it is exactly that. It's an insane mishmash of pretty much. I mean, it, it essentially is the culmination uh, of of what he's done. You see sort of like the electronic and house themes that he pulled on from, uh, you know, Watch the Throne and Graduation and 808s. But then you see the reggae influence and the song Famous. Uh, and you see Nina Simone is actually uh, also on that song. And again, that uh, Italian symphonic rock band has some organs that he likes on that. It, 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 when you look at a song like Famous. I just wanted you to know. And you see uh, Nina Simone, a reggae song by uh, Sister Nancy, which is the outro, and the organs from an Italian symphonic rock band. You, it baffles me how his mind must work and how he hears all these things and thinks that he can combine them to create not necessarily a better piece of art, maybe in his mind a better piece of art, but a cumulative piece of art that pays tribute to these songs while also, you know, clearly bringing uh, his new his new style. It's them. almost like a collage. It's almost like a collage, yeah. He's he's uh he he isn't necessarily crafting from scratch. He's building on what uh, what other people have built before. So yeah, you can see Life of Pablo. I mean, it's very interesting to how he's going to follow this up because Life of Pablo is probably the most most diverse set of samples and the most impressive to the greatest effect that he's used them, I would say, so far in terms of just having such a wide range and being able to fit them in all to one song. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, if we're talking this episode about the different, uh, you know, corners of hip hop, I think Kanye kind of owns this corner of creative sampling and creating something, you know, that is at once entirely his own, but also pays respects to, you know, it, you can see here that he just loves music in general. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, 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 it was wonderful just charting sort of his music interests from uh, his debut, then 12 years later, uh, getting to life in Pablo. Yeah. Thanks for trying Metro. Absolutely. If your Metro don't trust you, I'm gonna shoot you. Beautiful morning, get a summer morning, babe. Nothing in the water. Beautiful morning, get a summer morning, babe. That was John Powers with Michael Arrigo and Patrick Basler. Late last month, Drake dropped his highly anticipated playlist, More Life. Staff writers Patrick Basler and Cam Neiman sat down to discuss the most unique aspects of the project, its global nature.
Hey, and welcome to the dive. Uh, it's your boy. <laughs> what an intro! Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, it's uh, hey. I am Patrick Bassler, uh, senior staff writer for DBK Diversions, and I am joined by my global counterpart, hello, hello. counterpart hola, hola. in Spain. We, uh, my boy Neem, aka Cameron Neeman. Oh, oh. AKA, gracias, mi amigo. A- is in. Yeah. Bien, un poco tiempo hasta que yo And today we are talking about uh, the new Drake album. We got we got more pods uh, for your head top or whatever the patois for podcasts is. I don't know if they're, you know. I think it's like more, it'd be like more poods. More poods. More poods. <laughs> more poods for your head top. Um, so watch how you speak on our names. Um... <laughs> So we are discussing uh, the new Drake album that dropped last week, uh, More Life, or I guess I should correct myself, it is not a um, album, but is a playlist. Yeah, how many times does OVO have to tell you it's a playlist? Come on. You know, I, I, I like this project. I think it's one of Drake's better projects. I think it's one of his most interesting in terms of I had no idea what to expect, and I like that he didn't just mail in something that's just kind of like a hodgepodge of things Drake can do, um, and like not cohesive, which is what I think Drake albums often kind of tend to do. Um, and you know, I think whenever he does a lot of different things on this, and he's really good at doing all of those things. Mm-hmm. Now the thing is. One of those things is acting like he's from the islands. I don't know which island. Depends on the song. I think it's the... Sometimes he's in. Sometimes he's in Jamaica. Sometimes he's like. I don't. I don't know. He he's a member of various different <laughs> sure, island sure. cultures, which is quite impressive. Being that his um, native Canada is is um, quite um, non tropical in climate. Um, That's very true. But. Um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting project, and I think Drake does really good. He walks this weird line between like being almost a caricature and being like, wow, this is really good, and like this album leans to the latter. Like, mm-hmm. this is really good, I think. That's my general um, opinion. And... I think the or you know his like references his reference points his influences on this album are just a lot you know further spread geographically. You have, you know, his weird obsession with like island music and dance hall and, which is a very popular sound just in general right now. You know, kind of very upbeat you know tropical sounding dance music. And then a lot of the rapier tracks on here are very influenced by you know UK rap and grime and yeah um he gave you know skept an entire song and he has uh you know gigs on two tracks which i was just kind of like why but you know um, <laughs> legendary legendary uh, someone it, i i saw someone on twitter say something like <laughs> crime and or not grime or um like uk where's gigs from is he from he's, south he's, africa no he's british i think he is british yeah well, whatever like they're saying man like gigs fans go nuts saying he's better than any american rapper after rhyming perky turkey um <laughs> like whatever he rhymes yeah well also i just love the way he raps like like he's whispering because like he doesn't want someone <laughs> in the next room to hear of you know he's he strikes me as a guy that would be very fun though like he seems oh, like sure. a fun yeah. entertaining guy yeah, yeah. Um, but also weird because it's like 
you know, this is one of this is Drake saying like, yo, like you may not know these people, but these people are the biggest at what they do where they are, and they yeah. all fuck with me. You, they all mess with me. They all yeah. I don't know if I can curse, but like they yeah, all, re- yeah, they all they all respect what I do enough to get in the booth to lend me a track to lend me verses. Like I'm international, and that's Drake's yeah. that's Drake's message is that he's international. Now you know. Drake has a lot of, especially when the dance hall started to pop up on views and a little bit before that, he, you know, he gets this accusation of like culture vulture thrown at him a yeah. lot. And I kind of got it before, but on, uh, on this project, it seemed a little less credible to me because I don't think that Drake is, it didn't seem with all the features and everything that Drake was stealing this for personal gain. You know, I think it's music no. that he really enjoys and like he wants to make. So yeah, that's an interesting point because I think Drake walks this line between another Drake line walking thing is is he a culture vulture or is he putting people on the map, you know, putting putting yeah. these things that otherwise wouldn't have had the attention drawn to them. Like for example, who knows how I'm sure Migos's rise would have if not eventually happened would have been much longer taking to happen if drake doesn't hop on versace you know like that's that's a pinnacle thing he has the ability to do this and i think there are times when you're like where it's like okay it seems more like drake's like just kind of take like i don't know there was a whole thing with dram and cha-cha and like things like that where you're like i don't know it seems like drake's kind of stealing but here it's like you know he he's putting these different influences these different cultures the different types of music he's putting the respected people from those genres on the map to an audience that just doesn't know them just hasn't been exposed yeah. to them i'm really sounding like I, and i like this album i don't love it but like i i <laughs> i'm sounding so happy about drake right now because I, I don't know like i thought views was like catastrophic like i thought views was a horrible album like yeah i, I, I agree like I judge Drake on the scale of if the name Drake wasn't attached to this song, would people actually listen to it? Sure. And on views, I think like besides like three tracks out of like three hundred, it's like no. And on this, yeah. like every song I think is a listenable, like a song that you could add to your playlist and continue to listen to. I was actually uh, talking to my dad about this in the car the other yeah. day. My dad's like not a Drake fan, but I was uh, talking to my Spanish host dad about it as well. Really nice. No, <laughs> uh, we're staying global though. Um, I was talking to my dad, and he brought up. We were talking about Drake, and he brought up the you know that saying, um, "Good artists borrow, great artists steal." Um, he, I was kind of talking about that and like that's kind of fitting when you think about Drake because like on this album for example the song Get It Together is a note for note like word for word cover of the song Superman by this South African house producer Black Coffee but is there's something about the we could get together yeah oh yeah Black and... Coffee yeah but Black Coffee has like a credit on it right yeah because it's like literally his song and they yeah. just like re-recorded the vocals same lyrics like there's oh, a new oh it's the same lyrics it. and everything yeah there's a new hook but that's the only new thing and um but there's something about the fact that like Drake is taking this like you know like I guess like, kind of like semi-popular South African song and like you know making it marketable for the people who are his fans yeah which I is think cool is, yeah, and I agree. And, like, he's giving credit where credit's due. And I think that you can kind of um, 
you know, levy that accusation of culture vulture at Drake, but I think that he has kind of proved in this project that for him it's not about, even when he's stealing, he's kind of doing it for yeah, a reason no, that is so much I, like merit. And it's like, it's kind of one of those things where like, I mean, we don't know, like will putting black coffee on it mean people will, like, for example, I like to think I know a decent amount, like, but I still wouldn't have known that that was originally a black coffee song. Like, I didn't yeah. look enough into it, you know, like yeah. I don't know. I don't know if people will like get it, but I do think that. But that's like I don't know. He's not claiming like nowhere does it say like I'm sure if you look at the writing credits, it says song by like yeah. like that's yeah. on the people to find that information. Yeah. Um, and then about your other point about you know the songs on here being like good and listenable, I think that the thing about Drake, especially on this project, that is kind of funny is that like I don't think Drake really ever has made like terrible music like outside of like a couple of songs like but no i agree like even if there's a drake song i don't like i'm not gonna lie and say like in the car if it's playing i can't like somewhat vibe to it yeah um so is that what i guess the other question that this album this playlist uh kind of lends itself to is where does drake go from here i think i I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Like, what do you, what do you think? I don't I'm curious to hear you. I don't know. I think it's a, this, I feel like this was kind of like a Drake, like, you know, kind of like putting all his influences out there and kind of, you know, painting a picture like where he's at right now. And then at the end of the record, he's kind of like, all right, well, this is where I'm at for now. And then like, I'll get back to you later. So I kind of feel like, I don't know. I think that the, his next album is definitely going to try to do something it's definitely going to try to be a major release like you know views was trying to be but i hope that he kind of takes some of these more interesting influences and uses them and makes them but yeah not... why not so it's kind of like is drake gonna go the kind of kanye life of pablo route where yeah it's kanye like kind of admitting that in this moment he is just best as more of an orchestrator of others talents you know yeah like a yeah. a putting a cohesive thing together from a bunch of weird talents that you never think to combine all in all uh more life is uh it's all right it's okay more life i give i give three out of four stars i that's my grade for more life i um yeah i'm gonna give it what is like a good like global unit of um uh, Kelvin's Kelvin's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah we're gonna do like I'll say it's like uh, 7 out of 9 Kelvin's 7 out of 9 700 I'm not sure how I think Kelvin's are like high they, very they go very high I don't know but Kelvin's heat yeah. right it's like Special thanks this episode to Patrick Basler, Cam Neiman, John Powers, and Michael Bryce Sadler. Coming later this month is our 10th and final episode of The School Year, so definitely keep an eye out for that. And in the meantime, listen to all of our episodes at dbknews.com.